All right, welcome everybody into another edition of the Salt City Hoops podcast. My name is Andy Larson. I'm the managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com. That's the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. I'm here today along with one of our writers, Clint Johnson. Clint, how are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. Awesome. Glad to have you in. So um, I am want to get out of the way a couple announcements. First of all, the show today I'm really excited for. We've got Dean Demacus from DeanOnDraft.com. Um, he's been on the show before, and I'm happy to have him. He's one of those guys that I follow on, on Twitter and, and obviously read his blog posts, and you can tell that he does his he does his due diligence. He's watching every game. He's looking at the stats. He's, he's one of my favorite sources for prospect analysis just because he is able to combine uh, the draft, the, the stat side of it is along with the scouting side. Um, so, and he makes a lot of money on it gambling. So, you know, it, it's promising because hopefully we can learn a little bit from that he puts his money where the uh, where his mouth is right so you know hopefully he knows what he's talking about because if he didn't he'd be (laughs) he'd be out of a job maybe that's why he's starting the blog maybe we should be worried i i I don't think that's the case um a couple other announcements first of all um we are looking for sponsors for salt city hoops i mentioned that on twitter yesterday but if you aren't watching twitter every second of the day um, check us out. Uh, send me an email if you or your company is interested at Andy at Andy Larson.com. So email address is Andy at Andy Larson.com. Um, and so that's exciting. I also want to mention, because um, Bill let it slip on the radio show when I was on the last time, so I, I might as well go ahead and tell our loyal podcast listeners is that uh, Salt City Hoops will be having a radio show, not just a podcast here from the ESPN 700 studios. So um, the new studios are getting set up. We should have that done relatively soon. And once that happens, we'll be on the air Thursdays, 7 to 9 p.m., something we're very excited about. It gives us some more opportunity to have some great guests in and, and talk basketball on the air live for all of you, not just those who you know want to download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, from the website, etc. So that's exciting, something I'm super excited about. Um, look forward to those things, you know, we're not doing the full blast-out announcement yet, but I figured I'd let our loyal podcast listeners know first so they can, I don't know, clear out their schedules if anyone cares that much. Save so, your Thursday nights. Yeah. Salt City Hoops. <laughs> exactly. I, I think that seems reasonable. We'll also have that show, by the way, on iTunes and Stitcher, so if you do want to um, delay your your Salt City Hoops and Andy Larson, Clint, Ben, Dan listening, um, we'll have that available for you. But... The big topic of this week has been Summer League and how exciting the Jazz have been in this year's Summer League. I mean, so I, I went down to Vegas for the Summer League. It's the first time I've been to Vegas just because the Jazz haven't ever been to, to that Summer League before. And, you know, I, I got to tell you, I'm sitting on Media Row amongst all these other ESPN True people, SB Nation people, um, and people even from different newspapers around, around the country, you know, San Antonio Express News, whatever else. And I got everyone is excited about Utah Jazz basketball. You know, people are saying this is a team to watch, not even in a couple of years, wins, losses, rise, but I want to watch this team now and watch them start to develop because just how exciting Dante Exum is and how Rodney Hood is showing off his shooting game and how Rudy Gobert all of a sudden looks like a capable rotation player who's one of the most exciting players in the league with what he can do. I mean, Everyone, it's not just jazz fans that are excited about the future of the jazz. It's national media members who just like watching fun basketball games. And in seasons past, the jazz haven't been about that, right? <laughs> right, right, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it, it's been a little bit hard to watch at time with the lack of pace and 
honestly, it's been kind of standard, slow it down basketball where with not a whole lot of highlight sort of plays. We're starting to see those in summer league from the young players who will be on the roster next year. So let's get into the first one. I kind of want to break down those young players that uh, have impressed or not impressed in some cases, kind of look at how they've done in the summer league. And um, the first one is, of course, the number five draft pick for the Utah Jazz this season, Dante Exum. You've watched all the summer league games. What what are your first impressions about his game? I Dante was very much what I expected, and I think that uh, because he was so unknown to so many people, the expectange, uh, expectations varied widely. Um, he was good at times. He was bad at times. He was brilliant in moments, and he was completely winded for the second half of every single game. Uh, and, you know, when you're talking about an 18, barely 19-year-old who hasn't played five-on-five competitive basketball in basically a year, I think that all of that is understandable. So I, I think I think that with Dante, if you watched him play, you probably got just enough to justify whatever you thought going in. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. You know, he's definitely tired. He's definitely winded. I, you can tell that he hasn't played a game in seven months, and then all of a sudden you're asking him to play three and four nights or four and six nights, you know. It's just asking a lot for a young 18 or 19-year-old who, you know, had his birthday in the middle of summer league to go from nothing like that. And I guess, you know, of course he's working out. He is getting his conditioning in and et cetera. But he's never faced athletes that are this good before at, at any level, right? And so for him to do that night after night after night, it's I guess it's not surprising that he's exhausted, but it does – I, I don't know if he's going to be able to make it through 82 games in the same sort of way, right? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's certainly a concern. And they were they had to rest him for substantial blocks of time, and they just couldn't play him as much in second halves because his first quarters were almost always the strongest when he was fresh. And I think that that uh, is going to have a bearing during the regular season. I think that it's very predictable that he almost certainly will hit that rookie wall. He might hit it, you know, earlier than some. Uh so yeah, they're going to have to. They they have some things to consider when it's uh, when they figure out how they're going to use and implement Dante Exum. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. But he did show flashes, right? Like, Absolutely. He's showing the especially that first step flash. You know, he's showing that he can get to the rim, um, and, uh, unless teams dedicate multiple help defenders to stop him. And in those cases, he's showing in kind of an impressive ability, to me at least, to find the right man when someone does help over on, on those drives, when he is able to get past either the pick and roll or just drive by somebody. Yeah, I, I think he's a truly gifted passer. You know, he has an innate ability to see the floor, uh, especially on the offensive end, that really kind of can't be taught. You either have it or you don't, and I think he does have it. <clears throat> and so uh, that was one of the two things that stood out to me is really impressing me is is – uh, it reinforced he really is a good and willing passer. The other thing that stood out to me is while he has a long ways to go defensively, in individual moments you saw that defensive ability because of his long arms, because of his quickness. I remember in um, it was either the first or second game that he uh, turned the ball over uh, going to the basket and then by himself took the ball away from the defender who had just taken it from him and went in and dunked it. And, right. You know, he had several moments like that in, in the summer league where he made plays that most players just cannot make because he has the physical ability to do so. But overall, you were disappointed? Or no, not necessarily. I liked, his, I liked his, uh, his energy, especially when he was uh, – when he wasn't when he had gassed. Energy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, he, 
Uh, he struggled with the physicality, as we knew he would. Uh, he ended up on the floor quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of that, I don't think, is an indictment. I think it's who he is and where he is in his trajectory and um, development. No, that makes sense. So let me ask you, I was sitting next to Kevin Pelton, the ESPN insider, stat man, and former basketball prospectus dude. Um, and we, we were talking about Dante, and he mentioned something to me that if Dante weren't 6'6", there would be no doubt that he would be a point guard, right? Uh, do you agree with that? I think I agree with that. I, I don't see a whole lot of shooting guard in his game, to be honest. I, I see someone who needs to be on the ball most of the time. I agree that he needs to be on the ball most of the time. I'm a little hesitant about his ability to be a primary ball handler against stiff resistance because when he gets in in traffic, especially when he uh, isn't going directly to the hoop, I think that he sometimes has a loose handle. Okay. Uh, I, I trust Trey's ability with the ball against double teams and things like that more than Exums. And so uh, I'm not quite convinced that he could be the primary ball handler um, against stiff resistance. But in terms of all the other components of a point guard, I think he, he absolutely could play point guard. I, I, so I think you're right, and he showed a little bit of difficulties against pressure. But I think that happens more in summer league than it does in the NBA. That's game. true. That's very true. So, you know, in terms of just guys trying to steal the ball from you or double teams or kind of these frantic, scrambly kind of situations where I think Dante did kind of disappoint. It was a little bit loose with the ball. Um, especially with his left hand, by the yeah, way. It looked yeah, exactly. like he was really right-hand dependent in those sort of pressure situations. Right. I, I think that happens less in the NBA regular season than it does in, in the summer league. So that's kind of my hope is that teams won't be able to pressure him so much because they will be burned by the other four guys on the floor. Um, or, honestly, the other teams won't have the kind of 100-mile-an-hour effort. Right, exactly. They do in summer league. So... I, I think Dante is a good prospect. I, I think we've learned that he's not you know, hes not like a number one guy right away. its I don't think he'll be able to play, say, 30 minutes this season just because the fatigue and, and some of those other factors. He is going up against these players for the first time, the, these this quality of players for the first time. And, well, he's also playing grown men for the first time, really. I mean, most of, most of um, what he's known for is, you know, the – uh, the under 18 championships and things like that, where he was usually about nine months or, or so younger than most of his competitors. And so he's been playing against older young men. Right. But I mean, at Summer League, he was playing against 24, 25 year olds uh, who are often um, the peak athleticism from the NCAA and they're playing for their jobs. And it, it is, it's helter skelter, it's physical. Um, and uh, I think that was his first real experience or prolonged experience with that. And he's going to have to adjust and he's going to have to grow because, I mean, he is not fully mature, you know, even yeah. physically. What do you think about his shot, by the way? Um, so far he's shot only 32% for summer league, 21% from three, 60% from the free throw line. I mean, obviously small sample size, but as you watch his form and you watch the kind of shots he's getting, what do you think about those? Um, I think he has the potential to be a solid shooter. I also think he has the potential to become a really problematic shooter because Mm. uh, just off the top of my head, I remember at least three just complete air balls from three. Okay. You know, and I mean, uh, there was one of them that was not even remotely close and you could tell that he was aiming it. You know, you can tell this is something that he is consciously thinking about in the moment. And I think that's a problem. Um, uh, from the free throw line, he struggled. His his stroke from the free throw line, I think, looks good. 
Um, but I do think there's this consciousness to it. It's something that he's been working very hard on over the last year. He knows that teams have questions about it. Uh, very similar to Marcus Smart, I think they both have this kind of at the forefront of their brain. And I think sometimes that that interferes with gameplay because you can tell they're thinking about it and it and they guide the shot and it goes off. And so I, I think that it's a mixed bag and it could go either direction. Interesting. Yeah. So, so, so far from the free throw line, six for 10, so far from the field, nine for 28, three for 14 from the field, from three point line. Um, so, you know, that's not obviously a huge sample size, but it is three for 14, especially nine for 28. Those are the sort of numbers that make you look at, you know, maybe there's something to worry about here, especially because w- Summer league stats actually are somewhat important. Kevin Pelton did the research that you can look at, at a player's NBA summer league stats as being roughly equivalent to as important as their college stats. That mm. is, the correlation between their NBA stats and their summer league stats is about the same as their NBA stats and their collegiate stats. So, you know, it is only five games, and only four have been played thus far. But we can learn something about what they, these players are going to be in from their summer league stats, just in the same way we can from their collegiate stats a little bit. You know, obviously there are a lot of factors, there are a lot of examples where players did play well in summer league and didn't in you know, the actual NBA summer league and vice versa, or NBA regular season and vice versa. But, uh, you know, we have a little bit of worrying concern there with Dante Exum's stats thus far. Yeah, and I think that that justifies Dennis Lindsay's comment that he's he's said all the time, we're not going to skip steps in terms of the team rebuild. But for the first time, I heard him say that we're not going to skip steps in Exum's development. He said that's specific to Dante Exum, and I think that's really wise. Um, they clearly understand that this is a young man with lots of talent but a long way to go. And that, to me, says we're not going to rush him. We're not going to make demands before he's ready. Uh, and I think that's the right way to approach him. Let me ask, do you think he develops more next season by playing 25 minutes a game or by playing 15 minutes a game? Like, This is kind of the young player development quandary that Jazz fans have had for at least the last four seasons. But what what do you think? My personal belief is I think the 25 minutes. I, I believe that there are some things that you just can't learn without being in competition. Uh, I think there are some things you can learn in practice. I think there are some things you can learn in drills. But there are some things that you can't learn like how to deal with the physicality right how to deal with uh playing when you are tired you know things like that you just have to kind of experience it you have to take your lumps uh you have to get your confidence as you push through it so uh, i would like to see him playing the 20 to 25 minutes even if that is going to at times hurt the jazz i think that in long term that's the better investment yeah i I kind of agree with that and so i i don't want the jazz to skip steps for just like Dennis Lindsay says, and I think Dennis is a very smart man, but I don't want that to necessarily mean that he's a reserve player in a in a small role next season. I think, like you, that putting him in that role right right away allows him to kind of learn from his mistakes. And, and they have the roster to be able to play him minutes and still not put undue pressure on him. Right. You know, they they have a lot of guards and wings who have. Um, that kind of combo ability, mm-hmm. you know, looking at the way Rodney Hood plays, you, he, he even has some of that condo, combo ability in terms yeah. of ball handling and passing. So I think you can argue that they have like five players easily that they could plug in this season and play at one of the guard positions. So one of those players is Trey Burke, and we'll be able to talk to for about him for a little bit before Dean joins us on the show. But um, your thoughts on Trey Burke's performance thus far? He has not really 
redeemed himself from the summer league performance of last season. I think for people who are looking only at his shooting, that's true. Actually, to me, he was the most impressive player on the Jazz. Really? Okay, yeah. cool. And, and the reason is his defense just looks so much better to me. I mean, I, I can remember four or five times where he drew fouls by fighting through screens in, in only four games. Fight, he, uh, drawing offensive fouls on the screen. <clears throat> yeah, drawing offensive fouls on, okay. uh, on the man setting the screen. Um, he just seems to be working so much harder. He is so much uh, in better shape than he was a year ago. I think that was uh, an underreported, uh, especially early on, factor on how much he struggled. Uh, it was talked about a lot at Summer League uh, and his fitness was was um, impressive. The other thing is, even though he struggled shooting, um, he would get himself some points and he'd get to the basket more frequently here. He was clearly trying to penetrate and uh, much more than he did last season, much more than he did in summer league. And I find that really encouraging because he is going to go through times where he struggles as a shooter. Mm-hmm. Okay, I believe he's a good shooter. I do not think that he's figured out the way to kind of uh, consistently implement that in the pro game, certainly not in the Helter Skelter Summer League, which, as you wrote, is you know kind of not his forte. Right? Yeah, he, he's a, a game manager, if you will, to use yeah. the quarterback term. You know, he's he, he's a pick and roll player. He he knows how to read situations. He's not the I called it a master of chaos right. kind of player that someone like Russell Westbrook is. Um, okay, so we do have Dean on the lines, and I want to talk bring Dean into this conversation. Dean, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Cool. So we've been talking about Dante X, and we talked a little bit about Trey Burke, which you probably heard some of. Um, I, I want to get your thoughts first on Dante, though. Y- you watched, I-, I believe, did you watch all the Jazz Summer League games while down in Vegas? Uh, yeah, I-, I haven't wanted to miss a minute of Dante. He was the player I was most excited for. So tell me, what what are your first impressions? Well, the first night, he just looked completely awesome because, you know, he was getting to the spots he wanted on the floor, um, you know, he finished a couple times. Uh, he was making perfect passes to his teammates. He wasn't turning the ball over. Um, the, like one of the few times he did turn the ball over, you know, he immediately got really mad and he just went and stole the ball back and dunked it hard. <laughs> and, you know, you, you just love to see that, you know, competitiveness manifest in that sort of way, you know, forcing turnovers. But, you know, since then he's kind of started to show his work. You know, he's got a little sloppy under pressure. You know, I feel like he's missed a few easy attempts at the rim. Like, uh, I forget, uh, it was like third game that he just had like a wide open finger roll at the rim that just kind of, you know, rolled off. So I don't know if, you know, maybe he kind of needs to, you know, isn't that great of a finisher or he's just not that comfortable with play. Um, and he's also just not getting to his spots as much as he was the first game. So I kind of want to like go back and watch tape, and I don't know if it's because you know everybody says he can only go right, so I don't know if you know teams are kind of starting to take that away and he needs to develop a left or exactly what the cause is. But you know he's looking like a more of a work in progress than I had hoped. Now, so it's kind of disappointing. But at the same time, you know during yesterday's game, he still made a number of great passes, and you know he had a great drive to the rim where he came close to dunking for an and one, but he just wasn't reaching that far. He looks good physically. Like, the potential is all there, and part of the reason why he's just not putting up a lot of points is because, one, he has to share the uh, offense with Trey Burke. Two, he's just not a good shooter at this time, and when, you know, he's playing off the ball, he's relegated to jump shooting. He's just not going to be a good player. So, you know, I think he's pretty much still a mystery box in that, you know, we don't really know what to expect, but, you know, the potential is there, and it's pretty tantalizing. So, 
By the way, this is Dean Demacus, Dean on Draft from DeanOnDraft.com. I want to ask: you had Dean, or sorry, you had Dante as your second best prospect in this draft. Do you see anything? Have you seen anything thing in summer league that would make you kind of rearrange your top five at all? Um. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I don't. I, I still like kind of my initial hypothesis with Exum, and I don't want to, you know, go too overboard negative because he did look great the first day. And, you know, I still think he has great vision, he has great passing ability. And, you know, once his handle gets a little more developed, he could start really, you know, getting to the rim a lot. And, you know, he does have the length to finish, and his strength doesn't look that bad. So, uh, and, and, you know, like Michael Carter-Williams had a terrible summer league last year that he went on to win rookie, you know, rookie of the year. So it might just be a matter of repetition. Um, if, if I was, um, if I had to move Exum up or down, I would move him probably down a little bit just because, you know, I feel like he could have just, just not, not because he looks like he's got a bust, but just because it would have been great if he looked like he was just going to be a star, and star, you right. know, like, like, Derek Hurd had a bad summer league, and then he became good. But, you know, if you're, if he had – but Russell Westbrook had a great summer league. If Exum had a great summer league, we could just lock him as a star off the bat and, you know, talk about, well, should he have gone number one? But because he didn't, you know, maybe, you know, move him down. But I wouldn't move him down more than one or two spots. So I still have him sort of in my head and somewhere in the two to four range uh, on my big board. Hey, Dean, this is Clint Johnson here. One of my favorite um, Exum moments was actually – uh, a trap on the sideline with Dante Exum and Rudy Gobert, where with those two wingspans, they just completely engulfed the ball handler, and he ended up trying a skip pass that went about, you know, seven yards off pace and out of bounds. Um, I remember just laughing out loud when I was seeing that because of the sheer length. Uh, Gobert had a lot of these kind of wow moments for Jazz fans. Could you kind of talk about your impressions of what you saw from him in Summer League? Uh, well, yeah, I think Gobert looks great um, from what I've seen. Uh, you do have to kind of discount uh, the second-year player effect because second-year players have played in the NBA and they're going to look good. You know, compared to Exxon, who's, who's spent this past year playing with high school competition, now he's competing with not NBA-level talent, but NBA-level athleticism, and there's going to be a big shock factor in that. Same for all the NCAA players. On the other hand, Rudy Gobert was, you know, going from, you know, D-League and even some spot minutes in the NBA to coming back to summer league. So you can't really take it too seriously, but he does look good. Uh, you know, he's, you know, protecting the rim. He's finishing. Um, I feel like he's showing he looks a little more coordinated than you'd expect from somebody from that size. You know, he, I wouldn't necessarily call him graceful, but he doesn't look like a complete stiff. And I, I mean, I can easily see Rudy Gay becoming, you know, a solid NBA defensive big man who's maybe, you know, not a complete train wreck on offense. Uh, you know, I think he, you know, he, he looks like he has just like a little bit of Omer Sheik potential is pretty much how I put it. And, you know, I feel like he was probably a good value in uh, the late first round last year. And, you know, you had to say, if you had to say he was overdrafted or underdrafted last year, I would say he was underdrafted. Makes sense. I want to ask you about the other Jazz draftee this season, Rodney Hood. Um, and you weren't a huge fan of him going into the draft. But the summer league he's played, uh, at least to me, impressively well, not only just his shooting, but he looks like he has some secondary skills um, while ball handling and that sort of thing, too. What, what have your first impressions been? Well, I'm definitely feeling a little bit softer towards Hood. I wasn't really a fan of him because of his defense. 
offensively, he's easy to see why he was the first round pick. Because, you know, he can, he is a good shooter, he has good vision, he's a good passer for, for you know, a small forward. And he does have a little bit of shake, and he can get to the rim. And that's what he showed yesterday when he was matched up versus Kyle Anderson. And he was just getting to the rim against Kyle whenever he wanted. And, you know, he does have a pretty good force that first step, and, you know, so he can take advantage of mismatches like Kyle Anderson, who was too slow to keep up with him. And, you know, when he doesn't have the mismatch, he's not going to, you know, go ahead and force shots anyway, like Jabari Parker has been doing in Summer League. So, you know, he, he's a good, he's just, so, so it's easy to see how he can be a good offensive piece. I still have a lot of questions about his defense. I thought it was really bad in college. I'm not sure how much he can improve it. But if he can, you know, kind of find a way to improve it to sort of be not to be, you know, okay instead of a liability, you know, that's, that's a pretty good role player. So, you know, I'm still not a huge Randy Hood fan, but I, I can see how he might work out for the Jazz anyway. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, wanna, okay, so you mentioned Jabari Parker, and of course that's a subject dear to the hearts of many Utah fans. Um, you have not been impressed with him thus far in Summer League, and, and quite frankly, neither have I. It, it looks like he's trying to... He's making difficult shots, but he's making no effort to make the shots easier. Is, is that a fair analysis? That's completely fair. And that's pretty much like how it describes his game in general. I mean, he'll, he'll take easy shots when they're there. You know, he's had a few breakaway dunks in transition, and, you know, he's been getting to the free throw line, and that kind of makes his performance look a little less bad than it is. But he just seems kind of, he doesn't seem to care about whether he turns it over or he misses a shot. It just seems like his condition. It's not to have the most efficient possession, but to just to, just to score, rack up as many points as possible. And I think he just he just looks to me among like the top six picks. Uh, you know, I kind of thought that there was sort of like the clear hierarchy of the top six, and then it kind of fell off a cliff, and it was a lot fuzzier who was the best player. But to me, you know, he just looks like clearly the weakest link of the top six. Um, he's not looking good on defense. He's looking like he's going to be actively harmful to the offense that he plays in until he cleans it up. And he's not really showing like a go-to offensive move either. Um, so it's not even like, oh, yeah, well, once he cleans up his mistakes, he'll be able to dominate by doing this. He just can sometimes hit real, you know, the 25% shots or hit those 25% of the time. And that's not really you know, like the, the, the strongest selling point. So I'm starting to really sour on him. I don't want to be too knee-jerk reactive to Summer League, but it's pretty much, you know, all my everything I feared about him as a prospect is is looking like it's completely coming true in Summer League. So he's going to really need to, you know, turn it around and be a lot more cognizant of, you know, how bad it is to just consistently take bad shots when the regular season starts. Um, Jazz fans are really, really excited and interested in, in their new head coach, Quinn Snyder, as they should be. And a lot of people are trying to figure out just what his offense will look like um, once the regular season comes. Um, <clears throat> Dennis Lindsay and Quinn have both been talking about playing with the past. They've been mentioning San Antonio a lot. You know, there's a lot of connection between um, Utah and San Antonio, given the coach, the uh, GM and so there's a lot of excitement about this idea of we're going to replicate the Spurs system and uh, I don't know exactly how um, possible that will be but based on what you saw in Summer League in terms of just kind of some of the offensive philosophy uh, some of the players that you saw uh, if you had to kind of 
give jazz fans some some pointers of things they they might expect this season in terms of um, offensive priorities and offensive style. Can we draw anything from summer league, or is it just completely different beasts? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't draw read too much in the summer league because you know part of it is just that uh, you know that you you are just kind of you know you do want to just give the young guys reps to kind of you know just get accustomed to the the new the new speed of things, but. I mean, I feel like Quinn Snyder at the same time, you know, that he sounds like the right type of coaching hire. He does sound like, you know, he's pushing the offense in the right direction. And, you know, against the Fox, like Rodney felt like the Fox weren't curving the perimeter and they just kept generating corner threes for Rodney Hood over and over again. And that's the sort of type of thing that you want to see a coach do. Um, and that's going to, you know, kind of make the difference between, you know, a team underachieving their talent and overachieving their talent. And, you know, you saw the impact that Jeff Hornacek had for the Suns, where you know they Vegas over under with 20 wins, and then they, then all of a sudden every player over like, overachieved expectations, they won 48. Uh, you know, maybe maybe that, you know, I'll, it's a little bit optimistic to say Quinn's not early that good, but, you know, maybe he can be the, he seems like he's a clear candidate to be the type of coach who's just going to kind of, you know, uh, who's going to run things efficiently. And he seems like he has a solid shot of being an actively good coach. And I think he could be a big improvement over Ty Corbin. And, and, you know, based on the early returns, it seems like a good hire to me. Cool. Yeah, let me ask you, last question before, and then I'll let you go. Give us a couple names that have really impressed you this year in Summer League and a couple of names that have really disappointed you um, in terms of their performance and, and their NBA prospects. Okay, well, the, the guys who have impressed me are uh, Alfred Payton on Orlando. T.J. Warren is really, I didn't really scout him that much in state. Now I'm kind of regretting it. He looks great. Uh, I think Mitch McGarry looks good. Tyler Johnson's um, an undrafted free agent who I think has a shot of succeeding in the league. Um, so, you know, those, those are the guys who have stood out as positive. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, also Zach Levine. Zach Levine's looked a lot better than I expected him to. Um, on the negative end, um, and there are a few other positives, but on the negative end, uh, Shabazz Napier's been a big disappointment. Jabbar he looks Carter's terrible, looking. by the way. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shabazz, Shabazz just can't compare to Shabazz. I think the two Shabazz are pronounced differently, I just found out. <laughs> I think it's Shabazz Muhammad and Shabazz Napier, which is oh, confusing. Okay. But either way, um, you know, he doesn't look good. Uh, Jabari hasn't really impressed me. Um, I don't really like the way Wiggins is developing. He seems like he's kind of developing into a Rudy Gay. You know, he doesn't seem that interested in creating for others, and he seems like they're pushing the setback jumper a little bit too hard on him. Um, so, but uh, let's, let's, let's see. Was there anybody else? I mean, yeah, the, re, re, really not. But not too many people I feel too gloom and doom about because you know a lot of the guys like Exum or Gordon are just you know they're just so young. And they're just—they were known to be bad cheaters, and they're being asked to take a lot of jump shots. You know, it's pretty natural that they're going to look bad. So I'm not really feeling too negatively reactive about that many people. Uh, only call it confirmation bias, if you will. But you know, I feel—I feel like I feel like every, most everybody other than Napier is at least kind of displaying their strength along with their weaknesses. Just that you know, I don't want to you know get, get too bearish on anybody. Yeah, it makes sense. All right, well, Dean, thanks again for joining us. It's good to, it was good to actually meet you at Vegas this year, and uh, we'll have you on the program again soon. Okay, great. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. Uh-huh. Thanks, Dean.
I again just I I like his analysis. You can find it on DeanOnDraft.com. Um, he's does he gambles on both NCAA games and NBA games, and then uses kind of that analysis that he used while while he's analyzing these games in order to gamble on them, um, and writes about them on his website DeanOnDraft.com. So check that out if you haven't already. Um, I think it's just well thought out and well scouted. Well, he looks at the stats as well, so I, I'm glad to have him on. Um, I want to ask, so I want to kind of continue our conversation and go through the the rest of the prospects, the Jazz's prospects in this year's summer league and how they've done so far. Of course, there's one game remaining. Uh, we talked about Trey Burke. I, I think he, his performance has been disappointing shooting-wise. I'm glad to hear that you see his defense is a lot better, and in fact, that has been the emphasis for him from both. He's reporting that in, in our interviews with him, as well as Quinn Snyder has said very specifically, this is what I've challenged Trey Burke to do this summer league. Show me that you can go over uh, the screen on pick and rolls. Show me that you can stay with your man, because quite frankly, he didn't show that for large stretches of last season. Yeah, a- absolutely. And I think that I I thought that was jumped off the screen at me. And, and of course, the other thing that I really liked is he was struggling with his shooting again, but but this summer league, as opposed to last, he would get into the paint and he was creating some points that way where um, during last season, it was much talked about how just he was not getting to the free throw line at all for huge stretches. He, w- he would not attack the rim because he wasn't certain ex- you know, how he could get a shot off, how he could generate points. And he was doing that consistently and... Um, what I saw was I saw it as a deliberate move when he realized that his jump shot wasn't falling. To me, that's a really progressive move for his game. So I'm I'm really encouraged about Trey, to tell you the truth. Yeah, I, I think that's good that, you know, if, if something's not falling, it, it, David Locke pointed this out, that he's been good at reading game scenarios. Depending on how the defense is guarding him, depending on how aggressive that defense is being, he seemed to be making the right play at the right times. Um I want to move on to the Jazz's other draft prospect, Rodney Hood, and how he's done. Up and down shooting, to be sure. Went 1 for 10 in the first game, then 7 for 10 in the next game, uh, then had a disappointing night the next night. Uh, Those numbers are from the three-point line, by the way. I think, though, what I'm most impressed with is his secondary game, that he's able to pass the ball as well as he has and um, and rebound the ball as well as he had. I mean, so far this summer league, he's averaging 4.2. Eight rebounds per game and two point three assists per game. I don't know if I expected that, especially he's only playing twenty six minutes a night. You know, you look at that on a per thirty six basis, and that's that's a really helpful role player to have someone who can shoot as well as you know not be a complete liability on those other aspects of the ball. Yeah, I th- I thought he had some of that when I watched him at Duke, but uh, he's impressed me in in the diversity of his game as well. Uh, especially because a number of times in the summer league, he would be the ball handler up the court, and he's he's better athletically than a lot of people think. Uh, he can attack the rim and and finish it in different ways at odd angles. He's um, I, I think his reputation is pretty much of a, a, a flat shooter, but there's a, there's some real scoring. Uh, well-roundedness to his game. I, I, I really am encouraged. And as for the, the defensive liabilities, That's which, what I was gonna ask, <clears throat> which I think are, li- are realistic, and, I mean, we can't deny them. It's interesting that he said that his goal is to be one of the best defenders in the NBA, you know, and um, uh, he's been kind of saying that since he's arrived here, and, you know, his coach has heard that and has told him um, 
that he's going to hold them accountable for that. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I don't think that he was particularly impressive defensively in summer league. That doesn't surprise me. Uh, I think that he has the length, and I think he does have uh, the athleticism to be at least a decent defender. Uh, so I'm hopeful in that regard, but it's definitely an area where there's uh, there's a lot of work to do. Do you think there's that he's a plus player? I guess do you think his offense is more positive than his defense is negative? I, I think so, and I think that uh, as much as defense is talked about, and rightly so in the NBA, um, the plus players are almost all you know, offensive players, unless a defensive specialist. And it's very rare to have a a true defensive specialist who can help you to the highest levels of the NBA, unless you have multiple transcendent players like Miami did. Uh, I think that his game, his, he, he brings enough to the court offensively. And I think that he understands the game well enough and is athletic enough to not be a huge detriment defensively that yes i see him as a as a plus player and i think he can contribute as early as his rookie season yeah i i think that makes sense Uh, i've made this point online a lot but if if he does if he's more than just a shooter if he shows those secondary skills and especially defensively that's what graduates him from being like a steve novak um anthony morrow kind of player who both of those players are very bad defensively yeah um and into something who you can play 25, 30 minutes a game, even though, you know, he's not giving you a, a ton on either side of the ball. You know, he's not a ball handler. He's not a, like a playmaker in any sort of sense. But you can play him a lot more minutes because of that he's capable on the other side of the ball. You know, I, I think you're right about the defensive specialist thing, that it just hurts so much to have a defensive specialist who can't do anything offensively because – all of a sudden, the other team can guard four guys. Um, you know, we've seen that a lot. For example, in Jazz Laker playoff series in, of the past, where if uh, it, they can stop guarding someone, that's it's hugely diabolical for any offense. Um, but I haven't seen that from Rodney Hood so far, and I think that's what's promising about him. Um, yeah. Moving rapid fire on to the next prospect from the Jazz, who's uh, impressed, I think, Rudy Gobert. Um, he just looks like he's impacting games more than he did either last summer league or during the regular season, honestly. I mean, he was getting those blocks, but it looks like he's like you brought up the um, the pick and roll pressure situation where both Dante and him were were hedging on the pick and roll. I don't think it's really hedging, trapping on the yeah, pick and they, roll. They they trapped, yeah, they trapped on the sideline, and, and that's something that Rudy's actually really good at. You know, he, he, could, he can move those feet. Um, when he's um, either trapping or hedging I, I, on a pick and roll, I really like that aspect of his game. Yeah, I, so and honestly, it's his movement that's been impressive, right? Like, yeah, this is what I asked Quinn about. You know, what do you see different about Rudy Gobert compared to this year and last year? And he says he's getting himself in the right situations in order to be able to use his size and length impactfully defensively. Last season. And I think part of this was Ty Corbin's system, honestly, where on the pick and roll you just have the big drop off, which right. means that he's not necessarily impacting the ball handler. 
if you have him pressure or trap on that pick and roll, then all of a sudden he can use his length not only vertically to block shots, but horizontally to be able to make a difference. Yeah, and, and he, <clears throat> he he's tempted into reaching because he's, he, he does have such long arms. He really wants to go and poke that ball out, and I, I hope that he disciplines himself a little bit with that because that, that trap was just, I mean, it was just hellacious with those two with their with their wingspan. I, I wish I could remember which Spurs player they'd, they'd trap, but... I mean, he he just, it was like he'd been eaten. I mean, he was just gone. And uh, another thing that I really liked about Rudy was the consistency. He really played well in all three games that he took part in. I mean, and I mean, 12 points, 13 points, 11 points, six rebounds, nine rebounds, nine rebounds. You know, I mean, he did have that one five block game, uh, but he was a consistent impact player. And I think that's going to be important for him because he can't do everything, but the things that he can do, he can do really well. And if he can find enough of those things where he can contribute, especially on both sides of the floor, I think he's a player that can uh, can get onto the floor. And I was I was interested that when, when asked about Gobert specifically, Quinn Snyder said that he's a, a lane big. Mm-hmm. And if he'll do what he's good at, he can get on the court, you know, and so so there is the potential that if he tries to do too much, he gets too wild, or he doesn't contribute in enough ways. If he just gets myopic view, he's the type of player that you just can't put out there because he can be a liability. But if he does the things that he does well and he can do them consistently, uh, the Jazz will be fun to watch while he's on the court. That's so. That's kind of the question: is is he good enough offensively to play him? And and so far in the summer league, it seems like he has been with those double digit performances in every game. Do you think that translates, first of all, to NBA level competition? Uh, That's my worry personally. Is yeah, that, you know, I, does I, I, this pick and roll? I'm just going to be bigger than you and get the ball on the roll as the roll man and and dunk it. I mean, he's shooting 80 percent for summer league, right? right like yeah, that, that probably won't continue because then he'd have the best shooting percentage of, of any player in, in NBA history, right? Yeah, and so <clears throat> I share that concern. I do think that it depends. Uh, largely on the context of the team. Uh, this Jazz team may have enough playmakers that they can kind of uh, feed him enough in the ways that he's constructive that I think it can work. Uh, I do think that he has to play off of other people. He's going to have to live off of uh, other offensive players, and I, I don't know that that will ever change. But as long as he knows what he does well and takes advantage of opportunities, I think he's the type of player that you can play uh, in the NBA, constructively major minutes, probably not starter minutes, uh, but I think you can make use of him. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's fair. Do you think, uh, I guess the other question is, does he continue developing? You know, does he develop ever a, a jump shot, for example, would be, would be nice, and we haven't seen any flashes of that, really. No, I mean, when I look at his form, I don't think that it's broken or anything like that. He actually has a decently soft ch- touch, but... Um, you know, when you're, when you're talking about big, big guys and their hands are just so huge, they swallow up that ball and you just never know if, if that shot is going to click. I think he has the possibility of becoming a decent shooter. Uh, right now, I think it's pretty clear that he isn't that yet. Uh, I'm, I'm hopeful it's possible. I wouldn't bet money on it. Yeah, no, I I think that's fair. I mean, he's the 27th pick in the draft for a reason, right? Yeah. More than likely, not going to be the two-way offensive-defensive star that Jazz fans, you know, have in their dreams. But um, I, I think he's shown in the summer league that he can impact a game, and, and 
I don't know that there's a more valuable player in the NBA than someone who can be that rim protector right now. You know, we've seen that over and over again with the elite defenses. And it looks like Gobert may be able to be that guy for the Jazz. Yeah, and if, if he ever learns that he doesn't have to swat at shots and he can just raise those arms yeah. and keep, keep balls in play, um, he could be uh, a tremendous asset. He, I mean, he almost tries too hard sometimes and, uh, to his detriment. Yeah, and that's you know obviously that's not what you want. If you if he can master the Roy Hibbert verticality, right. that would be awesome. Um, want to move on to uh, again the summer league performance of another Jazz man, but this time the Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. You know we've seen uh, a little bit of their offense. I think can play. It, it looks very different visually than a Ty Corbin team does with with kind of the pace and and the the movement they're having on the ball. We've seen even some empty post sets where you know all five guys around the perimeter, kind of like the Atlanta Hawks did last season. Of yeah. course, that's where Quinn Snyder was. And, and so, I, I mean, I think we're seeing very different things from an X's and O standpoint. What what have you seen so far from his system? That, and have, has it been impressive? Or you know, what what are your impressions? Well, first, I, I do agree with what Dean said that we should be hesitant about drawing too many conclusions and projecting them um, to the regular season. And after all. Um, Quinn had decided, and I believe wisely, that he was not going to uh, to coach the summer league team. He, but he was there sideline watching all of the games, and I agree with that um, that decision. I think one thing that's clear is that uh, he really does want that ball to move. <clears throat> you know, he, we keep hearing playing with the pass, playing with the pass. It's it's everywhere out there in in. Um, uh, management and the coaching staff. And, and I think that he really does believe that. Um, he clearly trusts his players and depends on his players to be able to make decisions, um, which I think is uh, both brave and I think it's constructive, especially with the roster that he has where you have so many of these kind of combo, you know, scoring ball handlers, you know, everybody wants him to pin down um, his players to a single position. And um, in answer to a question about of course, uh, Trey Burke and Dante Exum and what positions he's going to play them that. He, he said, to me, there aren't positions in basketball. If you have five guys who can defend, if they can match up defensively, then they can play together. And uh, I do think that uh, that, that will lend to a, a more enjoyable style, honestly. You know, I think it's going to be faster both up and down the court, but I also think there's going to be more that's going on in terms of player motion, in terms of ball motion within the half court. I think that he's going to have a higher tolerance for mistakes than Ty Corbin did, to be honest. You know, I think Ty would always talk about, we want more pace, we want more pace, we want more pace. But um, I, I, I think that the players understood that he had a certain level of tolerance for mistakes. You know, going off the script was something that kind of irritated him. And I think that Quinn Snyder has greater tolerance for that. Yes. I mean, the jazz players have talked a lot about the diff- the amount of freedom that Quinn's given them. And I think what we see that in is especially that the jazz are playing in flow, um, which means, you know, they don't necessarily have a set executed play to be ready on every single possession. And largely they're playing out of, out of that flow when they can push the ball or off a miss or something like that. And basically the idea there is then you just get the guys in the right spacing and set a pick and roll, maybe do different things with that pick and roll or pick and pop, whatever you want to do. But the idea is you have a, a you have some base principles to work with from the flow, but you don't necessarily have an executed play ready to go. Um, and I think that we'll see a lot more from Quinn Snyder than we did from Ty Corbin, who who rarely showed that look. Uh, I also think it's interesting something he said, and, and you pointed this out to me, that 
he doesn't feel that positions aren't all that important to me in the NBA. I believe you do you have the full quote. Yeah, yeah, where he says, well, I just have the, to me, there aren't positions in basketball. Um, that's that, a big deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, that high voice time, but to, <laughs> to me, that's <laughs> that that's a big deal. There's a coach in the NBA that's saying positions aren't a big deal. I mean, I, I don't know. We're talking all day about Dante Axum and whether or not he can be a point guard or a shooting guard and whether or not Ennis Cantor is a power forward or a center. And if it doesn't matter, and I... All of a sudden, that's a whole new way to look at the Utah Jazz. Yeah, and I and I think it's really, really constructive. Uh, it really fits the the modern era of NBA basketball. I also think it it helps us understand why Dante is pretty comfortable being on the Jazz. You know, he was so insistent. I am a point guard. I am a point guard. Whenever he was asked about it, I am a point guard. Mm-hmm. That was a big deal going up to the draft. And then uh, Quinn Snyder talked to him uh, after he'd been drafted, and we're not entirely certain what what was said there but i think it was something like that you know where um he's not saying you are our two guard you are our shooting guard trey is our point guard you know um i don't think snyder would have any problem whatsoever saying you're both our point guard you know you're both you're both our ball handlers so how how far can you go with this positionless new future like can you can you throw say uh all small lineup can you go hayward hood trey burke alec burks Dante Exum, you know, like how how crazy can you get with these sort of matchups? Well, I I think that with the Jazz roster, I think it's really the possibility that on certain with certain matchups, you could probably go favors, and you could play a Hayward at the four, depending upon the matchups. I mean, you could honestly have four kind of combo point guard forwards. You know, I mean, um, I, I I think that depending upon matchup, that is that's legitimately possible. Th- this Jazz uh, roster has a lot of flexibility. I mean, the one the one thing that they don't have a lot of is physical strength. I mean, the one exception being Ennis Cantor, and he's almost an exception in every single way when it comes to this Jazz roster. Right. I mean, he's he's just completely unique in lots of good and lots of potentially troubling ways. So uh, that is an interesting question, is how does he fit into a, a positionless future? Because it seemed like a lot of times Cantor, you know, Cantor does a lot of great things, but it seems like sometimes he doesn't have a position because of, you know, he's, he's not really a rim protector. He doesn't have the speed on the perimeter, certainly. So, you know, who does he guard defensively? That was the second part of the quote that was interesting. So I don't think there are positions in the NBA except when so long as you're good defensively, right? I'm, right, I'm yeah, yeah. Where <clears throat> Snyder said if you have five guys who can defend, if they can match up defensively, they can play together. And I think the question is, what five-man lineup does Ennis Cantor match up well against the opponent? And if you're not playing him as the single big, I just, I just don't know. Yeah. I, I just don't know. I know. I, I think that's fair. And so you have to look at how he matches up with someone like Favors or Rudy Gobert. And in that look, that's a, that's, you've got to have both of those players in the post. Because, I, I mean, maybe Ennis Cantor can shoot a little and we'll, we'll learn that this season. But defensively, he, I, I don't like him on the perimeter at all, certainly. Yeah, and, and David Locke is kind of you know projecting him as more of the evolving into kind of the Memo Kerr type. And while I think which was, he, by the way, his Draft Express comparison yes. way back when he was drafted, which I think is fascinating because he has not looked like Memo so far as a player. No, and I mean, I, I think that uh, I think that Ennis is a is a really good player in particular ways. I 
personally, I think that he's the kind of player that who could develop into a 20 and 10 contributor. But that 20 and 10, my belief is, is going to come largely through the post. I think that he's similar to Al Jefferson in a lot of ways. I think that he was before he played with him. I think that apprenticing under him uh, furthered the development in that direction. And I think that type of player, you can win with that type of player, I believe. I mean, they've... Uh, Jordan's team has shown us that. I mean, yeah. it is it is possible, but I don't believe that you can win a championship with that player who isn't also a defensive anchor, and and this just isn't. Yeah, I I think that's fair. Um, you know, and obviously the Jazz aren't winning a championship next season. They have some time to figure out who Ennis Cantor really is. But uh, those are things that we'll have to watch for in this next season to see. You know, if you if the Jazz do want to build a championship core. How do they do that, and can they keep Ennis Cantor within that? And and in a system that requires players to make decisions on their own that aren't pre-scripted, you have to be able to read the situation quickly. You have to be able to make good decisions quickly, and that's one of the areas that, frankly, I think Ennis has, has struggled with. And so um, the one player I will probably watch more than any other this upcoming season is, season is Ennis Cantor just because I have no idea what to expect. I think that's fair. Um, I, I like this segue because it goes right into our crazy trade idea of the week, um, which does feature Ennis Cantor. And this is from the Jazz Fans Forums from user Hey Hey, so you know that it's the highest quality rumors out there. Um, we always get our top sources on the internet. Only the best for our fans. <laughs> for everybody. You know, after a week that I was literally hobnobbing with jazz front office officials and whatever else, we go to user Hey Hey from the Jazz Fans Forum for our trade idea. Anyway, um, the idea is a trade between the Utah Jazz and the Cleveland Cavaliers because, you know, the Cavs are looking for trades in, a, in the post-LeBron era. Cleveland gets Cantor, who would be a nice little center for them. Um, you know, some obviously it, it's a... He's still a prospect, I think, but he's also shown an ability to perform in the NBA level, maybe gives them some more scoring. Um, rebounding especially, I think, is something they could add for them. And in return, the Jazz get the, Jazz, the Cleveland 2015 first-round pick. That's actually Memphis's pick, not Cleveland's pick. So that's just to be super pedantic about this. That's protected for the first through fifth selections and 15 through 30 in 2015. Ditto in 2016. Uh, and then just top five protected for 2017 or 2018. So the hope is probably you're going to end up with a pick uh, in the uh, either between five and 15 or in the, in the next two seasons, or given that Memphis is a pretty good team, has been in the playoffs mostly, um, probably a pick in the 20s in, in 2017, 2018. And so you get that first-round pick plus Anthony Bennett. <laughs> Wow, him of the like three point five PR or who, however. So you're very much trading this kind of again an, an unknown quantity in Ennis Cantor for a really really unknown quantity in Anthony Bennett, plus a first round pick. So maybe you get something later on the side. What What do you think? What are your first impressions? I, I think it's amusing. <laughs> okay. uh, it's intriguing. It's a crazy trade idea of it the is, week. It, it has to be. It is, and and I think it's fun. I I I do think Anthony Bennett will be a better player than he showed. Um, I don't know how good a player he would be, um, <clears throat> so I I don't think that I would do this. And my my suspicion is if the Jazz do move Ennis, it'll probably my guess is it will probably be for a veteran. That's my personal belief. But um, 
I think this is at least worth talking about because, I mean, I'm come not. on. Yeah, I mean, Bennett can't possibly be worse. I mean, he just can't. It's like almost mathematically impossible. And, yeah, uh, than he was last season. Yeah, and, and during and during the summer league, in his defense, he's been he's been much better. I mean, he's not, still not shooting the lights out, forty three percent, but thirteen point three points and seven point eight rebounds. He's looked much better. He's in better shape. Um, there, you can make a legitimate argument that getting him now would be buying low on a player that has a really high upside. And for people who are all about upside, I, I think that I'm a little skeptical of that um, position. But there are those who believe that. Um, you just need to get as much upside as you can. And just then, take some risks. Yeah, and, and then it's, and sooner or later, you'll cash out. You know, yeah. Someone will hit that potential. If you are of that philosophy, this trade actually may make sense because Anthony Bennett does have a lot of potential, and he's, you could get him now at a really bargain basement price. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. The other thing to consider there is that Ennis Cantor is eligible for an extension this season. Um, and, of course, would be a free agent next season. I don't think, by the way, that that extension happens just because both sides are so up in the air as to what Ennis Cantor's real value is. Um, I agree with that. But I, I think so, that too. being said, you're looking at having to pay Cantor some real money, maybe even double-digit millions of dollars per season money in years to come, given the, the premium for big men in this league. Maybe you're able to save a few million dollars. I mean, obviously, Anthony Bennett has a number one pick contract, so he's making, I believe, five or six million dollars per year. Um, but you're able to save some money compared to what you're going to be paying in a scanter for beyond 2015. Um, I mean, I, I don't think I would do this deal. I don't think that the – I'd probably go with Ennis Cantor moving forward. And honestly, I don't know if Cleveland does this deal because I think they still have some attachment to Anthony Bennett having selected him. But, again, for a crazy trade idea of the week, we can always go to our trusty message board fans for, for those crazy ideas. Um, anyway, thanks again for joining us. I, I think this was an awesome podcast. Uh, we had Dean DeMacus on. Thanks again to him for joining us. Again, uh, we're going to be on the radio live soon. Uh, we'll have some more announcements on Twitter and later on the show as to when that show will actually start, but it'll be Thursdays from 7 to 9 p.m. Looking extremely forward to it. Thanks again, Clint, for joining us in studio. Uh, this has been the Salt City Hoops podcast. My name is Andy Larson, signing out.